0: This is the Photography Podcast on photography.ca, episode number 135, Get Thee to a Museum. Hey there photo lovers, how's it going and welcome to the 135th Photography Podcast on photography.ca. My name is Marco and as always we're coming to you from Montreal, Quebec, Canada. The topic of today's show is get thee to a museum because there's all kinds of super cool things that we as photographers could learn from the painters that have painted for hundreds and hundreds of years before us. Before we get into it, I'd like to excuse uh, the long time it's taken me to put this podcast out. I've been doing some non-photography things for the past few months that have been eating up all my time, and recently I just finished a month of travel and preparing for it and doing it uh, caused some absence. Please excuse me, the topics will indeed continue. Anyway, back to this topic at hand, I just came back a few weeks ago from an awesome, awesome, awesome photo holiday. Eight cities in Europe in 31 days, and it was just pure joy and it kept my eyes sharp and it's... uh, One of my most favorite things to do on this planet Earth. Anyway, during this photo holiday, you know, as people do when they go on holiday, uh, we often check out the museums that are in the cities that we visit and I had forgotten just how fun and uh, educational uh, it can be for a photographer. I'm talking in particular about uh, museums that feature paintings. Of course, photographers can get uh, inspiration from uh, other media as well, but this podcast will focus on what photographers have to learn from painters. Photography and painting, they have a lot in common, even though on the surface it may seem like they're vastly different. But in reality, photographers have so much to learn from painters. It's really unbelievable. Perhaps most importantly, uh, both painting and photography are 2D representations of a 3D world. Either a canvas or a piece of photographic paper or even a uh, computer screen on which photo or even painting can be shown. They only really have length or width. They don't have any significant depth at all. Any depth that we see is really an illusion because we're painting basically on a flat surface. And the way it appears on a flat surface is completely different from looking at it with our own eyes and seeing the inherent depth in the actual scene. So studying composition in painting is simply invaluable. Three of the larger museums I went to included the National Gallery of London, the Musée d'Orsay in Paris, France, and the Uffizi in Florence, Italy. Now, taste is a personal thing, and I have to admit that I did not love all three museums. But uh, each one did have a lot to offer education-wise, and um, I guess because I'm sort of into Impressionism these days, I have to say that the Musée d'Orsay was my favorite museum this time because it holds... Possibly the best collection of Impressionist paintings in the world. And it was pure awesome, for sure. Now, before I get into it further, let me address the fact that many people have never, ever been to a museum. And uh, some people say, they hate museums. They find them boring. And all the paintings start to quickly look the same after a while. I get that. I get that. I've, I've been to museums like that before. But usually there's a style or two of painting or a painter or two that you do find interesting. So those are the kinds of painters and museums that you're going to want to spend some time in. And if you absolutely have no knowledge of painters whatsoever, I'm going to stick a Wikipedia link uh, in the show notes so that you could check out just some painting styles for a rough, rough, rough guide of painting styles that you gravitate to and those that you just don't like at all. But when you do find one of these painters or artists and you purposely study how they painted, you really study it with your eyes, there's just unbelievable learning there. Unbelievable. And I've been checking out museums for a while, not just on this trip, but on previous trips as well. And and I'm a pretty big fan of Rembrandt and the other Dutch masters, and most people have heard of Rembrandt. Anyway, the last time I was in Amsterdam, you can be sure that I went to the Rijksmuseum, where uh, many of his masterpieces from the Dutch Golden Age are on display. And it's just a real treat to take your time and go up close to the painting and study all the elements that make up that painting. And aside from Rembrandt, I also like many other painting styles, even though I really don't know that much about uh, art history. But I am curious, so I do look around and decide what I like and I don't like. I do find that paintings from the Renaissance onward, or from about 1400s onward, for me they have like much more drama and interest versus the paintings from previous centuries. You know, everything kind of evolves into different styles and we like what we like, and there's sometimes there's no uh, rhyme or reason for it, but I find that for photographers, from the 1400s onward, the scenes that painters painted, they often had a lot more depth to them. They often do look more three-dimensional. You can usually clearly see the difference between the foreground elements, the midground elements, and the background elements, so if you have absolutely no idea which painters to check out, start in the 1400s and move onwards, and I think you're gonna find a, a lot that you're gonna like and a lot of different styles from which to choose. And this again is a key point for people wishing to improve their compositions. Go to a museum in your city, in another city, and just study up close where the painters Purposely placed their focal points or the points of interest in the paintings that they painted. I mean, just one that I'm throwing into the show notes. I'm going to throw about five or six paintings into the show notes. So you definitely want to check them out. But Caravaggio is also another uh, painter that I like. I'll put a link in the show notes. And he has a number of paintings. One that I really like is The Conversion on the Way to Damascus from 1601. And this is basically just a painting of Saul who has been thrown off his horse. And there's a picture of Saul in the scene. The horse in the scene and the horse's caretaker in the scene. But how Caravaggio placed those subjects, Saul has been thrown off his horse, his hands are reaching up toward the horse, there are just unbelievable compositional elements in that painting that make that painting super, super dramatic. And especially when we're struggling how to pull our own compositions together. Look at the foregrounds, midgrounds, backgrounds of this painting and other paintings that captivate you and you'll find all the time that things are placed in those places for a reason. It's not a coincidence. Painters knew how to guide their viewer's eyes and as photographers we want to do the exact same thing. And it's those pulling together of the visual elements uh, that Caravaggio, he just, he was so good at. He was so great at making really dramatic, compelling paintings. And it's the pulling together of the elements that helped make some of these paintings just pure masterpieces. You'll find more often than not that the rule of thirds, well represented in paintings. Uh, the painters knew the rule of thirds well before photographers. It's not that often you're going to see, you know, a f- the focal element of the painting being dead center in the painting. No. The painters knew how to guide your eye and the rule of thirds definitely applies uh, to painting as well. The rule of thirds, again, for those that may not have heard of it, is just it just means placing the focal points of your image on one of the thirds of the image. If we divide any scene we're looking at with our eyes uh, into a tic-tac-toe board, those lines that cut the scene vertically and horizontally, those are the power points of the image. And uh, you'll find that painters, more often than not, they're putting things on the thirds really close to those magic thirds. It just makes the painting more visually interesting. And even though most photographers have heard of the rule of thirds, you know, when you start to go to a museum and see how it actually works on paintings and see how it might apply to your own photography, very, very, very valuable lesson. I cannot recommend going to a museum strongly enough. It's it's so important, so valuable. And back to the painters painting the planes in their image, foreground, mid-ground, background, they blended the, those elements together so that they're harmonious, you know, in the actual painting. This is difficult to do in photography, but... The longer we take to do it, more often than not, our photographs are just better and we have a higher percentage of keepers because we're really taking the time to concentrate on the entire photograph we're making versus just one element of that photo, for example. I mean, if you get to photograph a beautiful mountain somewhere, you're anywhere anywhere in the world and there's a beautiful mountain, sure, frame it big and large in your viewfinder, you know, zoom in as much as you can for a shot or two, but then what? You know, by studying how the past masters painted landscapes, you'll quickly see that they rarely just zoomed in on the mountain, so to speak. They painted in interesting elements in the foreground and the midground that complemented the mountain in the background. A.Y. Jackson, and I'm going to put a painting of his in the show notes as well, he was a Canadian painter and founding member of uh, the Group of Seven, and they were a group of Canadian painters that uh, painted the Canadian landscape. Anyway, just by looking at a few Jackson images, you could see all the deliberate elements that he placed throughout the painting that added interest to the mountain in his painting. There are paths, there are trees. It's not just a mountain. The mountain doesn't exist in a vacuum. The mountain exists as part of an ecosystem. And I guess when we're trying to photograph an ecosystem, it doesn't necessarily even need to be a natural ecosystem. If we're photographing someone just in the street and we find other elements that complement him in the street, chances are that's going to be a more compelling photograph than if we just zoom into his face. Yes, we can zoom into his face and make compelling photographs, but include the environment include the foreground midground and background in, in some of your photographs just like the painters did and i think you'll be pleasantly surprised lighting how faces are lit how scenes are lit Lighting is another element to study from the painters. You know, what types of light did they use? Was it hard or soft? What was the direction of the light? Did it come from above? Does it come from the side? Is it straight ahead? What about the shadows? Where do they fall? Do they fall on the face? Do they fall away from the face? What effects do the shadows have? Are there any blown out areas or clipped areas in the painting that you're looking at? If there are, do they make sense to the painting? By exploring all these elements and asking yourself these questions while you're looking at the painting, you can learn a lot about how you enjoy scenes being lit or how you enjoy portraits of people being lit. Back to Rembrandt for a sec, he used a very specific type of lighting in many of his portraits. His light came from above and to one side, which created one well-lit side of the face and the other side just had a triangle of light now depending on the quality and strength of rembrandt's main light the faces of his subjects had different levels of contrast but photographers love this dramatic type of rembrandt lighting and uh, they've been trying to produce it for years and you can actually reproduce it fairly well just with one light and uh, with or without a reflector if you add the reflector you're going to make that triangle of light less intense and um And if you don't have that reflector and your main light is properly placed, you'll see that triangle quite well. Again, you're going to want to look in the show notes. I'm going to have some examples of this lighting that Rembrandt used. When it comes to lighting a person, many beginning uh, photographers are going to place their subjects in uh, direct sunlight. And it normally looks terrible when they do because the light is too bright for their faces or blows out some detail in their face or it reveals too many blemishes of the face. Check out portrait painters that you love and sort of look at the light that they used. Look where they place their subjects. Very often it's in a shady part uh, of an interior scene. Or if they're outdoors, you know, they're under trees or they're under some shaded light. Because this generally uh, looks nicer for more people. So if you're just starting out and you want to take pictures of people and you're struggling, get thee to a museum and take a look at some of the portrait painters that you like and study why you like them. So, instead of going to a real museum, this day in the internet age, it just makes sense. What about online museums? So, yeah, I guess it's better than nothing, but it's not at all the same. It's much harder to see brush strokes on a monitor. Uh, most monitors are too bright and uncalibrated, so you aren't seeing the truest colors according to how the painter wanted you to see them. the scale of the painting changes as you see it on a monitor and it's just not the same thing. you know you have three other tabs open in, in the browser. you're not paying the same level of attention. so uh, it's a completely different experience when you go to a museum. it's much more it's much quieter it's much much more introspective if you take your time it's It's so much more educational just because you can actually take the time to better focus on what the painter is trying to do with his painting or say with his painting or just your personal enjoyment of the painting. Totally different online versus live. The live experience is always better. So check out the museums in your city. If you're planning to travel, check out the museums in the city you're going to travel to. Check out museums in cities not far away from you, but get thee to a museum and study some of the painters. And I think that's all I have to say about this. I've just outlined some of the basic advantages of doing this. Of course, if anyone else uh, has stuff to add on on what you can learn from the painters and why go to museums, uh, I'd love to hear from you. Photography.ca at gmail.com is the email address, but uh, the favorite way to get comments, of course, is, is directly in the blog, photography.ca forward slash blog. And I think that'll do it for today's show. I already have two or three more topics uh, sketched out. So um, probably in about two weeks from now, there'll be another podcast released. In general, I'm going to try and release them at least uh, once a month. But if I can get more than one a month, then uh, I will do my best. And of course, if people have suggestions or comments, photography.ca forward slash blog. Thanks so much for listening, everyone. It's so beautiful in many, many parts of the world. And people are just getting out there and doing their thing. So I definitely recommend that you keep doing your thing by shooting. But I think it's very, very valuable if you stop shooting for a little bit, go to a museum, study some painters, and then go back out there and keep on shooting. Bye for now, everyone. Thanks so much for listening.